Welcome to this special edition of the 1505 Club. As always, I'm Dr. David Fowler, and this week we're going to do something a little different. So stick with me, and I'll see you on the other side. enjoyed all of our interviews so far. When we started this podcast, we expected students and doctors to be the ones who are most interested in the content. Much to our surprise, we've gained tremendous support from lay people, many of whom are Gonstead patients, and we've even had our first listeners in the UK. So for that reason, I wanted to take a step back and basically set a foundation for you to understand what is Gonstead and how is it unique, something we often refer to as the Gonstead difference. I've received a number of questions about my interview with Dr. Christopher Meyer, and that led me to two conclusions. The first is that I needed to stop for a moment and create today's episode in order to cover the basics, since we were assuming a certain level of understanding. The second conclusion was that I need to have Dr. Meyer come back, and we will do another interview to cover the basics and to make this topic as simple and understandable as possible. Fortunately, Dr. Meyer has already agreed to do that, so we'll be bringing you that episode sometime in the next few weeks. Now for this episode in particular... I wanted to create this special episode to serve as a beginning reference point for anyone who's new to chiropractic or to Gonstead in particular. My apologies to any seasoned Gonstead doctors who might be listening to this and will feel that this information is beneath them, but I know of many non-doctors who listen to this podcast and I did not want to leave anyone behind. So I thought we would take a few moments to cover the basics and provide some context before we continue on with more of our fabulous guests. My purpose is not to in any way diminish anything that anyone else is doing but to simply point out what we do, why we do it, and the results that the vast majority of us are able to obtain from doing it that way. The Gonstead system has made my career, and it certainly made me much more of a chiropractor than I ever could have become on my own. That's why I feel like I owe a debt to the technique system and to the legacy of Dr. Gonstead to present it as accurately and fairly as I can. But I claim none of this is my own. To steal an analogy from my wife, I'm just one beggar trying to show another beggar where the bread is. I think you'll find, with all the guests on this show, that we all share the same attitude of merely being fortunate enough to have had an opportunity and to have taken advantage of that opportunity, and now we want to help create that same opportunity for other people as well. Now, if you've been wondering, what in the heck is Gonstead, and how is it any different from any other form of chiropractic? Well, let's address that issue first, and we'll start by sharing just a little bit about the life, history, and legacy of Dr. Clarence Gonstead. Dr. C.S. Gonstead was born in 1898. While still in school, he developed an acute case of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, primarily in his feet and legs. After being bedridden for two weeks while the university doctors worked on him at his aunt's house, his aunt decided to call in her chiropractor, Dr. J.B. Olson. After a short series of just a few adjustments, Gonstead was good as new and walking around again. Although he was planning to continue his education by majoring in engineering, he immediately felt the pull to become a chiropractor himself. His dad was convinced he was throwing away his life, but nonetheless, he loaned Clarence the money to start school with the stipulation that he would not get any inheritance until he paid the loan back in full. Little did he know that his son Clarence would become the most successful chiropractor of all time, and paying back the loan would be a very small matter. Upon graduation in 1923, Clarence began his own practice. Predictably, he struggled with the transition from the school environment to the actual practice environment, at one point even telling his mentor, J.B. Olson, that he wasn't sure that he had what it took to make it in chiropractic. 
It was shortly after that when J.B. Olson broke both of his legs in an accident with his high-low table. He told Gonstead to leave his struggling practice behind and to come work his office for a while. And Dr. Olson's patients would teach Clarence everything he needed to know about chiropractic. Gonstead worked that practice until Dr. Olson was ready to return to work. And then he set out to start a new practice in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, a practice that would eventually become the largest and most successful practice in chiropractic history. In 1929, Clarence teamed up with his brother Merton, and together they worked to create the Gonstead Disc Concept. This concept was revolutionary in chiropractic because it explained for the first time that chiropractic was not the treatment of pinched nerves or biomechanical restrictions in the tiny facet joints, but rather it was a problem in the intervertebral disc that had profound implications on both the neurology and the biomechanics of the spine. As a point of interest, many chiropractic schools today still refuse to teach that the spinal disc is the cause of dysfunction. This is the reason why many students are interested in this podcast and the opportunity to learn from doctors who practice in this manner and have witnessed the results firsthand. But we will talk more about the disc in a minute. Nonetheless, the two Gonstead brothers began to achieve phenomenal results and their disc concept led them to create new adjustments, new tables, and new ways of detecting spinal disc dysfunction. Clarence further developed this idea when he had the opportunity to take trips to Lincoln College of Chiropractic in Indianapolis, Indiana, a now defunct school, where he had access to 100 cadaver spines. He proceeded to dissect these spines and then to put them back together again. He then used these spines to create known misalignments, which he would then x-ray to gain a better understanding of how these misalignments would appear on film. He then created a line drawing system to aid and inform the practitioner in making proper assessments of the spine based on full spine radiography and the system continued to improve. By 1954, the difference between Dr. Gonstead's work and the rest of the chiropractors was now so obvious that it had a tendency to cause the same problems then that it still does to this day. A man named Ted Markham went up to Mount Horeb to pay Dr. Gonstead a visit. While the visit was cordial, Dr. Markham's intentions were to prove that Dr. Gonstead was either a phony or a fraud, or at the very least, to prove that he was highly overrated. Dr. Markham spent the day with Dr. Gonstead, and, at the end of the day, he was convinced that Dr. Gonstead was everything he was rumored to be, and probably much more. Ted Markham would go on to help Dr. Gonstead create the Gonstead seminars, and he would lead those seminars for many years. His wife, Dr. Phyllis Markham, would go on to run the x-ray department at the Gonstead Clinic for many years, ultimately becoming the foremost expert on the Gonstead x-ray system as well as the foremost expert on Gonstead himself, and she had more interaction with him on a day-to-day basis than any other person. You're going to hear a number of our guests talking about Dr. Phyllis and the time that they spent with her. I wanted you to have context so you know who she is and why she's considered to be such a reliable source of all things Gonstead. Now, you're probably still wondering, what is unique about this Gonstead system? While it took decades for the system to go from its infancy to the developed version that we have today, let me talk about the system as we practice it today and it's presented in seminars all over the world. As previously mentioned, the Gonstead system involves heavy utilization of x-ray examination. The uniqueness of the Gonstead x-ray lies in the fact that we use full spine x-rays along with a detailed system of line drawing. Over the years, some chiropractic critics have tried to make an issue out of the line drawings and they will often say that they are unscientific or invalid or just plain unnecessary. However, there are two things they won't tell you. The first is that there's a significant amount of peer-reviewed research demonstrating both the validity 
and reproducibility of the line drawing system when it is performed by people who are properly educated and experienced in how to use it. The second is that the orthodontic profession has been using line drawings for decades and nobody ever gives them any grief over it because that person would be laughed out of the room. I've worked closely with some orthodontists and I've seen their line drawings and I can tell you they are both necessary and accurate. On a more practical note, for many years I would mark the x-rays in front of the patient and I would explain to them what was happening in their body as I was doing it. There was rarely a time that the patient wasn't amazed that I was not only able to tell them what was wrong, but I could also tell them what symptoms they were experiencing and why they were experiencing them. Proper x-ray analysis is a vital and often underutilized tool in the chiropractic evaluation today, especially when you consider the types and amount of information that cannot be acquired by any other means. Another unique part of our analysis is the use of instrumentation. Most Gonstead doctors will use a nervoscope or some derivative like a delta T, which I use. Others might use some version of surface EMG to measure actual conductivity. Regardless of the approach taken, we're looking for objective information regarding nerve function or dysfunction. The basic idea is that when there's a dysfunction in a disc or a nerve, that will lead to swelling and increased blood flow, which will result in a heat difference on one side of the spine relative to the same level on the opposite side of the spine. It's usually during this time that I'll ask the patient about their symptoms, and this is often where the patient becomes confused. The reason we ask about symptoms is so that we can complete the clinical picture. I want to know that what I'm finding objectively matches with what you, the patient, are experiencing subjectively. As long as your symptoms are consistent with what I'm anticipating, then I know we're on the right track. It's really more of a check and balance thing to make sure that I'm not missing or oversimplifying anything. The problem generally occurs when I ask a patient about their symptoms and they say something like, well, you definitely need to adjust my neck because I'm having a lot of headaches. Now I know from my evaluation that their headaches are not coming from their neck. I know that what I actually found will produce headaches, but when I adjust what I found and not their neck, they're gonna be disappointed and they're gonna think that I missed it or I was lazy or something. This is why I want to be clear for the sake of every Gonstead doctor out there. We are not asking about symptoms because we need you, the patient, to tell us where to adjust. I've seen enough YouTube chiropractic videos to know that there are doctors out there that do do that, but that's not what we are doing. Please do not fool yourself into thinking that our job is to simply chase pain and pound down the high spots. I would say that 80% or more of our decision making is based on our objective findings and 20% or less is based on your subjective complaints. But that's still 20% that's based on your subjective complaints. So it is information that we must have, and that is why we ask. The other part of the assessment, which is actually three things rolled into one, is visualization, static palpation, and motion palpation. You've heard several of our guests talk about this already. Visualization begins the moment a person walks into the office. I often notice how they enter and how they move. So I already have an idea of what the problem might be before I even have a chance to put my hands on them. The next part is simply that. I put my hands on them and I feel for swelling in the joint. The body will tell you where the problem is simply by observing its efforts to correct or compensate for that problem, or more importantly, its inability to compensate for the problem, which leaves the joint vulnerable and exposed. The final step is motion palpation. This is where we move the body through a range of motion and we feel for movement or restriction at a particular joint. For example, 50% of neck rotation occurs at the atlas vertebra, the top vertebra in your spine. If this joint is subluxated, it will lose this motion and be unable to rotate. However, 
that does not necessarily mean that you will not be able to rotate your head at all, although that could be the case. In most cases, your body will attempt to use other joints to make up for the lost motion, something we call compensation. And you'll still be able to move your nose to the left and right, but the way in which you do this will be obviously dysfunctional and easily detectable to a good chiropractor. This is the reason why we use motion palpation. It isn't just to see if the joint is moving, but it's to see if the joint is moving properly. Sometimes they move improperly, and sometimes they don't move at all. Since I brought up that magical chiropractic word subluxation, I'd like to talk about that for just a moment as well. Last week we talked about this with Dr. Dan Lyons, but that was a deep discussion, and I like to keep this one more basic in general. Chiropractic is sometimes criticized or ridiculed because we have a unique lexicon, including words like subluxation, innate intelligence, universal intelligence, limitations of matter, and so forth. Now the concept of innate intelligence is simply the recognition of a vitalistic philosophy that our bodies have an inborn wisdom, which is consistently working against the second law of thermodynamics and the principle of entropy to continually create order out of chaos. The simple example of intelligence in action is that if a house is left long enough, it will eventually become a pile of sticks. But a pile of sticks will never become a house, regardless of how much time is involved. The exception to this, of course, is intelligence. If an intelligent builder comes along and finds the pile of sticks, he can use his intelligence to create a house. This is how we know that intelligence is the only force that can resist entropy. And every time we see something moving against entropy, we know that there is an intelligence behind it. It is this exact same concept that formed the foundation of what we today call homeostasis. Now you might wonder why chiropractors had to create their own word instead of just using the word homeostasis. The answer is because Dee Dee Palmer came up with the concept of innate intelligence several years before Sir Walter Cannon coined the term homeostasis. You might be even more surprised, as I was, that when Sir Walter Cannon coined the term homeostasis, it was not as some kind of scientific literature or textbook. Rather, he was writing a religious piece in rebuttal to the Calvinists of his time who insisted that God would only give proper health to his so-called elect, but not to the unelect. Sir Walter Cannon found this to be an absurd assertion refutable by simple observation, and he gave his rebuttal that God has endowed all human beings with an inborn wisdom that maintains every function in perfect harmony and balance while resisting the effects of entropy. This inborn wisdom can be seen throughout the universe, and it can be seen to an equal extent in all humans universally, a concept that he turned homeostasis, or a sort of innate intelligence, if you will. The question is often asked, if all people have this homeostasis or innate intelligence, then why do some people become dysfunctional or sick? The answer to that question has to do with interference. Interference is a very general word that in and of itself has little to no meaning. We use this word on purpose because we do not want to oversimplify. All direction in the body is received through the nervous system. Therefore, it stands to reason that the nervous system is the information highway by which intelligence is communicated through the body. Interference in this system may be caused by direct physical trauma, or it could be of a chemical nature, like through the food that we eat, either the things we shouldn't eat but we do, or the things we should eat but we don't, leading to a deficiency. Or, as we discussed in our first episode, it could be the result of our thoughts and our, adaptabil and our adaptability or inadaptability to emotional changes and traumas. In chiropractic, we lump all these things into one common word, and that is subluxation, 
due to the fact that subluxations do result in the misalignment and fixation of a joint. Now the critics will say that subluxation refers to a joint that is misaligned but not dislocated. While we do recognize that as a valid definition that is suitable to describe what we are finding, there's more to the word than merely that. The word subluxation is composed of different root words that, when put together, means less than total light. It is this literal definition that ultimately led D.D. Palmer to believe it was the perfect word for a chiropractic lesion, which is in fact a neurological lesion and not merely a back problem. The idea that chiropractors simply crack spinal joints to reduce back pain is such a massive oversimplification of chiropractic that it's actually not an accurate definition of chiropractic at all. Chiropractic is, at its root, a neurological system, which is why I start off our very first episode with Dr. Meyer talking about polyvagal theory and heart rate variability. If you think that chiropractic is just cracking backs for back pain, then you'd be very confused thinking it was some kind of non sequitur for us, chiropractors, to have any interest in the nervous system. When in fact, the nervous system is our primary interest because that's what controls every function in the body. The only reason we work with spines is because that's where the spine is, houses your nervous system. If your nervous system was in your right arm, we would be known as right arm doctors, but obviously that's not the case. What D.D. Palmer recognized was that all intelligence flows through the nervous system, Therefore, interference in the communication of intelligence must be, at its core, a neurological problem. As I've stated before, I'm the Vice President of the Gonstead Clinical Studies Society, and you also might be wondering what on earth that is. Well, let me tell you. The GCSS, as we affectionately call it, is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to the Gonstead system of chiropractic. We are nonprofit because no individual doctor profits from the proceeds of the organization. However, Many of us contribute a significant amount of money to the organization. This is because one of the primary purposes of the GCSS is to fund and produce our own original research. As a 5013C nonprofit, anyone can donate to the cause and receive the appropriate tax benefits as they contribute to Gonstead relevant research. We are also nonpartisan in that we don't really care if someone was educated by the Gonstead Seminars or if they are part of Gonstead Methodology Institute. The GCSS is comprised of individuals from every camp and we actually get along with a surprising amount of harmony. One function of the GCSS is to certify the skill level of doctors claiming to use the Gonstead technique. To this end, we have a diplomate committee that conducts a diplomate test once a year to certify as diplomates those who elect to take and are able to pass the test. The test is a two-day testing procedure that I've described as being both the most difficult test I've ever taken, but also the most fair test that I've ever taken. The GCSS has Dr. Lydia Dever to thank for that, and we'll be sure to have her on the podcast soon so we can talk about the diplomate process with her. In addition to the Gonstead Diplomates, the GCSS also has a College of Fellows. These guys are the absolute cream of the crop, and I'm very eagerly looking forward to having more of these guys on the podcast to share from their enormous depth of both knowledge and experience. Perhaps the most amazing thing about the College of Fellows is that the vast majority of these guys are still in active private practice. So they're always speaking from experience and not just some academic, hypothetical, pie-in-the-sky ideals that have never been put to the test. In fact, many of these guys practice in a way that elevates the ideal of what we should all be doing in practice. This is a unique aspect of the GCSS that we'll definitely be talking more about in the weeks and months to come. So let's do a recap of everything unique about Gonstead. First off, we are primarily focused on results. Our commitment and dedication to the Gonstead system is not nearly as strong as our commitment and dedication to results. 
And it's that commitment and dedication to results that led us to use the Gonset system and has kept us here for the duration of our careers. Second, unlike most chiropractors who spend twice as much time adjusting as they do evaluating, Gonstead doctors are known for spending twice as much time evaluating as they do adjusting. I used to tell people that while Gonstead doctors do adjust differently, and I firmly believe that difference makes a big difference, the real value of the Gonstead system is found in the evaluation, which I believe is the most systematic, the most logical, and the most scientific way to see a patient. Let me give you an example of that. I had a patient who came to visit her son. And he brought her to me because her head was stuck in a tilted position and her equilibrium was distorted because of it. I started making changes and she started to see improvement. The time came for her to go home. And it turned out that there wasn't just a Gonstead doctor in her hometown, but one of my fellow board members was there. No problem. I simply wrote down on the back of one of my cards her listings, what vertebra I was adjusting along with the simple three-dimensional listing that I had for it. Several months go by and she comes back to visit her son again. When I see her, I can immediately tell that she has improved even more since the last time I saw her. I find out what the other doctor was doing, and it was basically the exact same thing I was doing. Great. So we pick up where he left off, and we continue to see improvement. You might not realize it, but this is something that's fairly unique in chiropractic, that we can communicate so simply, but with detail. So we each can do the exact same thing with precision, and her care does not suffer at all. To contrast this with the typical experience, when I was in my first few years of practice, I had a retiring chiropractor contact me and ask me to take their patient records and to see their patients for them. I agreed, and some time went by before I saw the first one. When the first one did come in, I grabbed their chart from the bundle and I immediately noticed something peculiar. C3 to C7 right, T1 to T7 left, L2 to L5 right. Despite the appearance, this told me absolutely nothing about what they were actually doing, and it was clear that whatever it was, it was anything but specific. I simply did my own evaluation and came up with something more specific, which unsurprisingly led to much better results for them as well. Third, we use a unique line drawing system to obtain objective information about the spine. Now, it doesn't make a lot of sense to go into great detail here when we're talking about the basics, but there are a few key points you should know about the x-rays. First, we take them in a standing weight-bearing position. And I, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen x-rays with the patient lying down and everything looked fine. We then retake them in a weight-bearing position and it looks like an entirely different person. You then ask the person, do you have pain when you lay down or stand up? Well, of course, they have pain when they stand up, but they feel fine when they lay down. Then why wouldn't you take the x-rays standing? Second, we take full spine x-rays, which means everything from your pelvis to your skull on one film. The value of this might not be immediately evident, but the spine is actually one structure, even though we divide it up into segments. X-raying only part of it would be like X-raying your wrist and then making assumptions about your entire arm. The only way to evaluate the spine as a whole is to X-ray it as a whole and to evaluate it as a whole, which it is. Fourth, we use some sort of temperature differential or galvanic measurement device to objectively determine a change in neurological functioning. There are so few objective measurements in chiropractic that the vast majority of chiropractors rely almost exclusively on subjective findings. There's nothing inherently wrong with this on its face, except that relying on solely on subjective measurements leaves you with an enormous margin of error. In other words, you're going to be wrong a lot. The bigger problem is that you won't know when you are wrong and you won't know how to fix it if you're wrong. The greater the number of objective measurements we can include in our evaluation, the greater the likelihood that we will get it right. 
the more systematic and scientific our approach becomes and the more reproducible our approach becomes. Finally, but certainly not least, is our adjustive approach. The Gonsett system uses an adjustive technique that is both informed by and dependent upon an accurate understanding of spinal biomechanics. It's for this reason that we must adjust the patient's neck. We do so seated in the chair. It's the unique positioning of seated with the doctor behind and the limitation of rotation so that the vertebra is lifted and set straight forward that leads to a very different adjustment and experience than the one that most people associate with chiropractic. In fact, with every adjustment that we do, rotation is limited, if it's present at all, and the vertebra is lifted and placed forward into a proper weight-bearing position. From there, there is very little that I can do to explain the procedure to you, but you would simply have to experience for yourself to understand the profound difference in experience. Now, enough of the heavy stuff. I can't end our special episode today without answering the most frequent question that I've heard since we started this podcast. What does the name 1505 Club mean, and what is it a reference to? Well, 1505 Springdale Street in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, is the physical address of the Gonstead Clinic, the clinic you see pictured on our icon. Now, you might be wondering, why would anyone name their podcast after a building? Well, that's a very good question. See, when Dr. Gonstead built the clinic, he did so primarily out of necessity, because his patient load and demand was just so great that he needed the space to house everyone, and they used every square foot of that enormous clinic. But the other thing that Dr. Gonsett said was that he built the clinic as a monument to chiropractic because he wanted the whole world, and especially chiropractors of every generation, to be able to look at the clinic and to clearly see what would be accomplished by providing high-quality, hands-on chiropractic care with no unnecessary fluff but just great adjustments applied in a scientific manner. And he welcomed any chiropractor who wanted to learn how to do this to come to his clinic and attend his seminars, and he would teach them how to do exactly what he did. For that reason, the clinic is a monument to great chiropractic care for patients, but it's also a monument to great chiropractic education for students and doctors. That means that everyone looks to the clinic as a shining example of the greatness that chiropractic has to offer. Since the clinic is the one thing that brings everyone back to the foundation of chiropractic, it was clearly the perfect unifying image to invoke for this podcast. As I've mentioned before, it's my earnest desire to provide a little something for everyone, whether you're a patient, student, or doctor. I want everyone to feel like there's something here to benefit them, and I want everyone to know that if you're desperately looking for help, there's someone here who's willing and able to help you if you just reach out. To solidify that fact, I'd like to direct you to the GCSS website if you've never been there. Our URL is www.gonstead.com. On this site, you will find a doctor location tool that will enable you to find a Gonstead doctor in your neck of the woods or anywhere in the world if you're searching for a friend or family member. You can also see our bylaws, our committees, and our board of directors. As the GCSS does conduct its own research, you can access a research tool on the website that will enable you to find research studies and findings relevant to the practice of Gonstead chiropractic. And finally, if you're a student at a chiropractic school that does not have a Gonstead club, but you're interested in having one, please contact the GCSS home office or email us here at the1505club, T-H-E-1505-C-L-U-B at gmail.com, and we will forward the message to them for you. Thank you for joining me for this special episode, and I hope it helped to give you context and to answer some questions you might have had. In the coming weeks, we'll be revisiting polyvagal theory with Dr. Christopher Meyer. 
we will be discussing the uniqueness of the disc, among other things, with Dr. Dennis, Denny O'Hara, and we will be discussing the Troxel Interim Program and the transition from student to doctor with Dr. Josh Lawler. I hope you'll join us for all of these conversations, as I'm sure you'll learn a ton as we pull back the curtain and attempt to remove the mystery from the Gonstead system. So I'll see you back here next week. Until then, take care. I'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.